So if you've got a Bible or a phone with the Bible on it, or if you've memorized the whole Bible, open up your memory banks to it, you clever people, to 2 Chronicles 7, and we're going to look at roundabout verse 14. And let me just share with you uh, some of the thinking around this verse, and um, uh, let's just trust God to... uh, Touch our hearts this morning. I, I'd love to, where's the clock? There it is, oh gosh. I'd love to give at least five or ten minutes to praying for Hull as we finish this morning. Is that okay? So we're going to do our best. Just, just proclaim over me your preacher. Be short this morning. Go on. Go on. You're allowed to say it. Be short this morning. Oh, Christian, say no, no. I'm already short, my mum's saying. I've always been short. I've never been any taller than this. But my dad's shrinking, so that's better. Praise the Lord. So 2 Chronicles 17, uh, sorry, 7, 14. Uh, and the context here is that Solomon has built the temple that David always wanted to build. And he's put the temple together and they've dedicated it to God and it's been filled with his glory. And now Solomon and God are having some conversations about how this temple are going to be used. And it's really relevant to you and I. Let's read it. 2 Chronicles 7. I'll start at 13 if you've got it, okay? And this is God speaking. And he says this. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people, everybody say if. It's a, it, everything pivots on that, doesn't it? It's an if. Um, never live the K-Sera, Sera Christian life. Well, it happened, therefore it must have been God's will. No, you plonker, don't. Think more deeply than that. If, if everything is K-Sera, Sera, Jesus would never say, ask of me. He'd never say, ask and God will give to you. Things pivot on the power of our will. And God has given us this wonderful thing, free will. Now, it's really irritating because it gives us a sense of responsibility for life. We can't just say, well, it happened, therefore it's God. Now, here's where you can say something is, listen, whatever happens, if you come back to him in the way this verse says, he will rewire everything for your good. He will turn every messed up decision you ever made and rewire it for grace and goodness. Now, it doesn't mean that there will be no hard times. We all know that's not true. Don't we? We'll be on that fridge magnet, right? But his grace is such that if we respond in the way this verse says, then we will find the grace of God reaches us and transforms our lives. Amen? So uh, don't beat yourself up over dumb decisions made. We've all made them. But do get on your face, cry out to God, don't ignore them. Call on grace to help. Amen. And that's really what this is about. If my people who were called by my name. So he's talking to, to Israel. He's talking, uh, you could say, to the church. That's how we're going to read it this morning, right? But the first context is, of course, Israel, his people. Uh, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Everybody say humble. Oh, you never, ever pray the prayer, Lord, make me more humble. You'll be weeping by tea time, okay? Just it's, you don't need to pray. He's very good at doing it anyway. We'll humble themselves, and if they'll pray, and if they'll seek my face, and listen to this, and turn from their wicked ways, God's people sometimes have wicked ways that need turning from. But listen, if you, if you, if you humble yourself, If you pray, if you seek my face, if you repent, let's just use that because it's quicker, then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and will heal their land. What an amazing verse. 
the healing of a land begins with the humbling of God's people. You could just chew on that all morning, couldn't you? Verse 16 says, let's finish it off. Oh, sorry, verse 15. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Remember, they're in the temple. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Let's just pick out some truths from this amazing set of verses. Is that okay? And that'll kind of do us. We'll do that for 20 minutes, pray, then we're done, okay? Um, well, I might as well, because it's relevant, do verse 13. When I shut up the heavens so there's no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send plague among my people. Notice that God says, when I cause drought, or food shortages, or plague, this is what to do. Now, uh, I know lots of people like to theologically go, I know that God hasn't sent any plague among the world. I prefer to say it's above my pay grade, if I'm honest, because uh, the danger of trendy theology where God becomes as nice as a, you know, I don't know, what can I say, a kindly chaplain who never speaks harshly, then you kind of miss the God of the Bible. He can be fierce. He is to be feared. He is holy. So I prefer to say, well, it's above my pay grade who sent what's going on in the world, but I still know what to do when these things go on whether it's sent by God or used by God, whether it's sent by the enemy and used by God, either way, if I do this, we can turn the tide. Anybody ready to turn the tide this morning? Right? So here we go. Here's the things to do. And let's just rip apart some of the truths in it. Um, here's my first thought from this. Uh, in, in the lead up to these verses, it talks about God being attentive to our prayers. Do you ever feel sometimes, I, I looked at you all while you were singing, your love never fails, never runs out, never gives up on me. And I could see a few of you going, yeah, well, you know, it doesn't always feel that way. And some of you were singing it with gusto, you know, you've got joy in your heart this morning. As someone, some were singing it with a, with a little bit of desperation. Well, I really hope that's true because darn it, life's a bit difficult. And then some of you are thinking back to disappointments and difficult times going, really? I don't know. You know, that's a really hard one to work out and I'll only have the answer when I'm in heaven. Um, life's difficult sometimes, right? But here the Bible is teaching us that you can you find yourself in the unattentive part of God's gaze, but he's teaching us how to put ourselves where God's gaze always is. Who wants to be there? He, he, he does, he is everywhere. He is omnipresent, but we know that he reaches into certain circumstances and certain situations and transforms them. And what this verse is teaching us is how to put ourselves in the place where God's attentive gaze and heart is seeing us. The God who sees me is one of his names, right? Um, uh, James Alandrian at our recent conference brought out a great little series of, of thoughts. He, he, he told, he kind of read the biblical story of when Abraham built one of his many altars in a place called Bethel. And, and the verse literally says, and he called on the name of the Lord there. Then a couple of generations later, we find uh, Jacob uh, uh, running away from a difficult family situation, lays down his head in the same place and has a dream, you all know it, of a stairway between heaven and earth, of an open window, an open door. Interesting. Abraham 
calls on the name of the Lord. Two generations later, Jacob lays down in trouble just in the right spot, just in the place of God's gaze. He did, and, and, well, he came to understand his grandfather had opened a window of God's gaze. Come on. Come on, grandparents, you can open a window of God's gaze over your grandkids. Parents, you can open up a window of God's gaze. I wonder if we're here this morning just mainly because of the last five minutes of the service when we'll call on the name of the Lord and build an altar here so that God will look at the city of Hull and bless it, that he will be attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Maybe you're just the right, what is it, 40 people to just come here together and go, that's all it takes just a few righteous ones to say this really matters we want to place God's gaze in the center of Hull if my people will pray my eyes will be attentive my ears will be attentive my heart will be there who needs God's gaze anybody build an altar like Abraham your grandchildren will thank you for it God just look this way look it's like Zacchaeus climbing up the tree and it says, and Jesus looked at him. Right? It does something. Prayer creates a place where God is always looking. It doesn't have to be complex. It just has to be real. Matthew 6, 6, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And it talks about, one of the versions says this. It's beautiful. It says, uh, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. It's almost like, you're asking everybody, but not asking me. Uh, I'm waiting for you in the secret place. And Jesus taught to shut the door, get away from distraction, from social media, from the TV, from those screaming kids. Uh, shutting the door might be going for a walk, but get away from it and you're going to find the Father in the secret place. Who needs God's attention? Anybody? I do. So I'm building an altar, I'm calling out, saying, oh God, and your only prayer might be, help, that's okay. Some of the best prayers don't have very good words to them, that's okay. Stand where God is looking. Place yourself under his gaze. Number two, what I catch from this is, if my people called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face, I want to encourage you this morning, know how to give God your focused intensity. Don't just meander through life hoping that God will notice you. Now, focused intensity is very different for every, everyone in the room, right? There's some that have the, 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 they're in the place in life and have the financial wherewithal to say, I'm going to seek God for a month and do nothing else. Who knows that most of the world can't do that? But what we can do is sometimes give up our favorite TV program, or as some did uh, uh, just at the conference last week, take two days off work to go, no, I'm turning up in God's presence. I'm using holiday days to do it, but I'm I am seeking God. I go to conferences. You'll usually find me sat at the back, not the front. Sometimes I get invited to the front and said, no, I'm really happy at the back because I've not come to meet you. I've come to meet Jesus. I just want to sit with my pad and my pen and my Bible and just hang out with God. And when I travel to a conference, I'm more interested in the space between the sessions and the night times on my own than I am in anything that's said at the conference. Why? Because I know there is a blessing that touches our 
lives when we give God focused intensity for certain seasons. Not forever, unsustainable, unless you really are, you know, like Anna in the Bible who just spent, she was a widow, so she spent her days praying and fasting. Most of us can't do that. But my question today is, when's the last time you gave God some focused intensity? If you need his gaze, catch his eye. Catch his eye. Give him, say, God, okay, I'm going to give you um, some of the, Vicky, do, oh no, I'm going to spoil your reward if I tell this, what, what you do. There's just certain days when she just eats less. And all right, these days and these, I'm just giving you focused intensity with a bit of fasting and a bit of extra focus. What does it do? Catches God's eye. Because you can find yourself in the unattentive part of God's gaze. Going, wow, why is nothing shifting? Well, just, you stood over there. Come into his line of sight. How? Humble, pray, seek, repent. And God will go, oh, there you are. There you are. Give God some intensity. That's what we're doing this morning. Um, let's, let's do the repentance bit. Shall we turn from their wicked ways? I love repentance, don't you? Repentance is so joyful. We should use another word, unburdening ourselves from guilt and shame. That's much more fun, right? But that's ultimately what it does. It's the realization that, oh, I, I've been a Christian uh, a long time, but I'm still a plonker. Anybody else out there? I still need God and his grace. So if you ever get to the point where you're a, you know, a smarmy, smug, charismatic Pentecostal or any other kind of Christian that generally is going, well, I'm okay. If you walk through the city center and go, well, just thank goodness I'm not one of them. So easy to become a Pharisee, isn't it? I can hear it in my own heart sometimes and I go, oh, Cooper. I can scroll through Instagram and see someone in a similar role to mine. It always happens with the brothers, right? Getting really blessed by God. And I can hear the accusations in my own heart. And like, Cooper, envy, what happened to you? Envy, the most common problem that nobody's got. And it just shows that our hearts are a little bit more bankrupt than we thought. Do you know... When the children of Israel got into their promised land, Judges 3, this is, if you want to go and read it this week, it actually says, if you want to know how God works, why your life isn't just, you know, fun all the time, this is how God thinks. The Bible in Judges 3 tells us that God left enemies in the land to teach them to fight. Grr. I don't want any enemies. I want tiptoe through the daisies, don't you? I don't want any problems. But listen, saved people in this room, born again. Maybe you raised your hand 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Any advance on more than 50 years ago? 60, mother, anyone, any advance on 60 years ago? And there's still things for my mum to repent of. You, you kind of walked into that one, mum, sorry. There's stuff in our lives left there by God. And listen, God does not want you to succumb to them. He wants you to overcome them. I can't do the Bible study now. We haven't got time. But let me do the very quick version. Because it lists the, the peoples that were left in the land to teach the Israelites how to fight and to kind of keep them on the edge and not become lazy and fat and slovenly. 
They were Philistines, and Philistines always represent the flesh. Listen, you're not supposed to just succumb to your flesh. You're supposed to overcome it, right? As God said to Cain, he said, sin is crouching at your door. You must master it. There's a lifetime's project, right? Mastering. The Hittites speak of fear and terror. Anybody had to fight the battles of fear the last 20 months? Don't succumb. Overcome. Overcome. This is what repenting does. It's going, no, God, you said that I'm not to fear, therefore I will not bathe my life in news headlines and live in fear. They're things to overcome. The Girgashites, there's a good one, right? We all know them. Can you remember them? No, I can't either. They they speak of, of humanizing, and they lived in clay houses, it's a beautiful Bible study in all this. The Amorites speak of pride and boastfulness and ego. The Canaanites speak of greedy consumerism. The Hivites speak of luxury. The Perizzites, remember them? Of course you don't. Lived in villages with no walls. The Bible says that, that people without self-discipline are like towns with no walls. Sometimes we're too lazy to build the walls of self-discipline, and then we wonder why we're overcome by things. And why we succumb to things. Listen, there's stuff to repent of in our lives and say, God, no, I will not let that take root. And you know, I know every one of you like me would say, God, from the moment I gave my life to you, I just wish the power of God was so strong, I never had a bad thought, never said a bad word, never did a bad thing. Don't you wish you were like that? I do, because it feels awful when you just want to live for God, but you've got this blooming thing called flesh. Even the Apostle Paul, and he was a bigwig, he was a good one, said, oh, who's weak and I don't feel weak? Who burns and I don't inwardly burn? He was burning with the shame of sin and difficulty. Wow, and he's one of our generals. Every one of us have enemies in the land to overcome, not succumb. So that's why it will never be out of fashion to say, why don't we just have a repentance service? Why don't we just get before God and say, God, forgive me, wash me, have me. Forgive me for my indiscipline. Forgive me for my succumbing to fear. Forgive me for my laziness. Forgive me for my, for my lust, for my greed, for my selfishness. Forgive me for my consumers. Do you know what I mean? Anybody else? I need to do this most days. Never have revival without repentance, right? Um, let me take that one step further before we pray. Is that okay? Um, one of the, the grand themes of this is to catch that God says, if my people who are called by my name, I've been reading some of the minor prophets, um, because when I get to heaven and, you know, Hosea and Habakkuk walk up and go, did you like my book? I want to be able to go, oh, yeah, yeah, I knew it. So, so I'm making sure I'm reading all the obscure ones just for when I meet them. It's socially okay. If I were you, I would do the same as well. And I was going through Hosea on Friday. And isn't it, think about this for a minute. When I talk about repentance, you probably all start to think of yourselves. It's very easy to make a group feel guilty. And maybe we should sometimes and get cleaned up. That's okay. God lifts that from us. But God looks at an entire nation and says, repent. If my people, isn't it interesting that they're 
there's almost the hint of this dynamic that there could be a sin over here that someone over here could repent of. I, I, we could sit here and go, well, God, we're good Christians. We never did it. We never did this. But I wonder when God looks at the city of Hull or the United Kingdom, and he's actually saying, okay, in your individualistic culture, don't lose the fact that you can repent for your nation. You can repent for... Job used to give sacrifices for his children just in case they sinned. We have a responsibility to come before God and confess and repent on behalf of others. We can stand before God and say, God, please forgive Hull for this, that, the other. Forgive East Yorkshire for this, that, the other. God, forgive churches, forgive other leaders, forgive us, forgive, right? And we can pray for each other and repent on behalf of others. It's a confusing thing. for We just think, well, I can only turn from what I do. No, biblically... An entire nation can turn around and you might be in the crowd going, well, I haven't done it. Yeah, but still, even when it's not you, here's the posture of a believer. I humbly come before God because I want his eyes on this city and on this place. And I repent and I, I call for your blessing and we pray and we seek your face. I don't know, I'd, I might want to repent this morning because Hull is one of the places with the lowest church attendance in the entire nation. Maybe that's something to say, God, forgive our city. It's not us that's not going, we're here. But we can still repent for the passivity towards God, the passivity towards God's standards, the passivity towards godliness and justice. Can't we do that? I find it over the pages of the Bible. Hosea is speaking to a nation. The healing of a land begins with the humbling of God's people. I, I read this, and Matt, why don't you just come up and strum your guitars just to remind me to be finishing very quickly. And in fact, why don't you all stand? That'll help me remember too. And we're going to have five minutes of prayer at the end of this morning. Is that okay? If my people who were called by my name. So as a group, God looks at us as wonderful individuals, but he also looks at us as a group. And here we are, 40 people. Well, that's more righteous people than Sodom and Gomorrah had. So 40 people in the center of Hull's influence and authority, looking up to heaven. Let's break the glass ceiling this morning, not literally looking up to heaven saying, God, forgive our city, forgive our nation, forgive governments, forgive the hypocrisies and the lies and the power play and the... Remember going around Westminster thinking, oh, this is a place of such sin. Felt like it, you could feel it. We can actually call on God and say, God, would you do something? And here's would you just listen to one more verse? At the end of Hosea, and it's a book of repentance, really, but of God's compassion touching them when they do. But Israel was in a mess at the time. and So as a nation, he was saying, now I'm sure there was good people among them, but as a nation, they needed to repent. And Hosea ends with this, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Listen to this verse. I like this. Verse 2. Take 
words with you and return to the Lord.'" 